Welcome to Classically Current, where we review new films every week and link them together with classic films of the past. With your host, Zach and Kyle. Welcome back once again to Classically Current. Thank you so much for tuning in to our old episode that we released recently. If you still haven't checked it out, you still can. It is just under our episode list for season two. Today's episode is episode 14. We are doing The Suicide Squad, directed by James Gunn. And we're going to talk about the directed pro the director profile, some movie background as usual, as well as some box office information, as well as critical response. We're also going to talk about the good and the bad, so we'll give you a little bit of a of some good reviews that the film has and some bad reviews. But this one is kind of few and far between. It's interesting, Con. Not as many negative for this film, which we'll get into, but we have our Did You Know segment, which we, which is our fun fact segment, and we'll get into the review of the film. So without further ado, Kyle, let's just get into it and let the podcast begin. To get us started off, Kyle, why don't you just give us a breakdown of James Gunn. You know I'm a big fan of his. Let's talk about his work that he has done in the past. Yeah, well, he was uh, he's kind of an American film director, an actor, producer, screenwriter, uh, as well as a former musician, Zach. So he's done uh, quite a bit. And uh, he actually began his career here as a screenwriter in the mid-1990s, uh, then began working as a director, starting with uh, his first horror comedy film, Slither, which came out in 06 and moving to the superhero genre with super followed by guardians of the galaxy and the sequel to guardians of the galaxy volume two. And most recently the suicide squad. Well, yeah, it's interesting. My first experience with James Gunn, I didn't really know who he was, uh, but I had watched guardians of the galaxy. I think we watched that together at your old apartment in college. And, (laughs) I, that was a really interesting, visually stunning movie. Had a lot of good character moments, and then I've been kind of following him along. And I had, you know, watched Slither. I didn't get to catch Super, but I've seen Slither, Guardians One and Two, and then now The Suicide Squad. He's uh, he's got a very distinct sense of humor. I think it can be a little bit dark at times, and you'll see that in Slither, and you can see that in this film as well. And uh, so it, it was. I was really excited to see the Suicide Squad and see what he's able to do with these characters. But just to give you a little bit of a movie background, you know, David Ayer, Kyle, was actually going to direct the sequel as the first Suicide Squad, which came out in 2016, actually did pretty well uh, in the box office considering. You know, that movie had a $175 million budget and ended up making over $746 million worldwide. Which, you know, right now, during the pandemic season, that seems outrageous. But that was how much the original Suicide Squad made. And then he ended up not doing the sequel, and they were thinking of different directors to do it. They were thinking possibly Gavin O'Connor, which 
is a director we've talked about on this podcast before. If people remember our The Way Back episode with Ben Affleck as a basketball coach overcoming his alcoholism to help lead his team to victory. That was uh, directed by Gavin O'Connor as well as Miracle and The Accountant. Uh, So yeah, we did a whole episode on Gavin O'Connor and his work and The Way Back. So if you want to listen to that, it's still in our episode list under season one. But so Gavin and O'Connor, I guess, left the project in October of 2018. And then, you know, James Gunn was hired to write and direct the film after he was briefly fired by Disney. If people don't remember, James Gunn was fired from Disney after some tweets had surfaced that he had written like 10 years ago. It was like in 2008 or 2009, he was going for shock humor. He was... uh, not really, you know, back then that was the it, social media in its infancy. He was just trying to get people to have, he was trying to make light out of things that were really dark. And those things just didn't really work then. And they don't really work now either. But somebody had saw, somebody had seen those tweets and they were circulating in social media. And so Disney felt like they had to step in because some of the tweets involved child abuse, I think, if I remember right. Even though they were 10 years prior, Disney felt like they needed to step in and they ended up firing him. And then that's when DC kind of swooped in and took him on as a director for The Suicide Squad, which is interesting. And now, come full circle now, Disney has rehired him for Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which will come out in 2023. So, you know, I didn't think it was going to last. I knew it was just like you know, a temporary thing. The tweets were so long ago, but there was such a big public outcry that Disney felt like they had to do something. And now he's here directing Suicide Squad and will be a part of Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And with this film, The Suicide Squad, he drew some inspiration from some war films, which you might notice, as well as, of course, John Ostrander's 1980s Suicide Squad comics. And he decided to explore new characters in a story separate from the first film's narrative. So that's the interesting thing about this new Suicide Squad, which it doesn't, it's kind of weird because it's a sequel. It has some of the same characters from the the original Suicide Squad from 2016. You have Amanda Waller back, which is Viola Davis's character. You have Colonel Flag, he's back. Another character that's back is Captain Boomerang from Suicide Squad. So you have like three main ones that are back, and but it's like a different narrative. So this gives them an opportunity to do more in the future. Uh, filming began in Atlanta, Georgia in September 2019, and it ended up con- concluding in Panama. So they went all the way to Panama to finish this up, and that was in February of 2020. So, yeah, fairly fairly long shoot. David Ayer and Gavin O'Connor were the... Uh... Well, I think where they would have had a lot different visions here than James Gunn. Uh, just a def- different feel for both those directors. They kind of have a more uh, serious, gritty, uh, maybe a darker tone to a lot of their films. And I think uh, I think James Gunn was probably the, the best option here between those three. It would have been uh, interesting to see like if they had a character like the Joker again or some something like that come up i mean they had harley quinn uh but yeah i wonder like if that would have changed anything at the box office or 
I don't know, because I just feel like there's always a certain amount of intrigue with the Joker character. Well, you can see that with the Joaquin Phoenix and Todd Phillips Joker, which made over a billion dollars as yeah. an R-rated drama. I just think everybody so, likes the Joker. People like the Joker. He's the perfect and anti-hero. He's from this movie. Yeah. But I don't really know what they would have done with him, but... I'm kind of glad they focus on some other characters in this one, too. Yeah. But general audiences may want him. So, you know, he's such a big box office draw. Yeah. Well, and speaking of box office, uh, Zach, we'll kind of get into uh, what this film has uh, been able to make up so far. And it looks like, as of now, the the box office totals for this film are around $72.2 million, And that's as of August 8th. Uh, that's also against a $185 million budget. And so basically we got $26.5 million that's here in the United States and Canada. And the remaining $45.7 million is currently in other territories, which, yeah, adds up to 72.2 total. So that's uh, got quite a bit of ground to make up. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just now getting into theaters and everything. So it's got a long ways to go, but it's just... It's just tough because you have the Delta variant that is among us and people are afraid to go to the theaters once again. Uh, you also have the fact that this is a, a, a sequel-ish that came five years after the original. You have a bigger budget than the original Suicide Squad by $10, $10 million more this film cost than the original one. Which is okay right. normally if you, the first one's a success and it was fairly successful you know, its first go-around. But still a little bit risky in this time. Fact that what I said still a little bit risky, kind of during this uh, time. I I still feel like it's there's still some risk there with the whole COVID pandemic. uh, You know, with the Delta variant and all that coming out. That it's I don't. We'll see how uh, it's gonna affect people going back to the movie theaters now again. Well, yeah, and keep in mind too that. This was also simultaneously released on HBO Max, so that is currently available on right. HBO Max right now. So people, a lot of people checked it out there. So in fact, this was the second most watched movie in its first weekend at, on uh, HBO Max at home. So this one, pretty successful home viewing. And AMC, there's a big update with AMC and uh, Warner Brothers as Warner Brothers has decided to release its films on AMC next year. AMC, which of course people know as the big theater chain, they're going to, they've struck a deal with Warner Brothers to release their movies on AMC next year for 45 days. Now, after that, I don't know I don't know if it'll go on HBO Max or not. That just means that this is probably the only year that HBO Max is going to release their theatrical films on their streaming platform. I've even looked at uh, what Christopher Christopher Nolan is a big, you know, Warner Brothers director, and I've even seen articles saying that he has been talking to Netflix about his next project. I mm. think he has a sour taste in his mouth that HBO Max was going to release their films at home because he yeah. is a big proponent of the of people going to the theater in fact tenet was not available to stream last year until like months later i don't know exactly how long later but that was interesting to me he wants everybody to see his films in the theater 
Now, why he wants to talk to Netflix, I'm not really sure. Maybe, I was they, say maybe that they'll strike a deal. Well, I was going to say that's kind of seems almost hypocritical unless it's uh, him balking or something. But I I don't really understand like his whole point against H or against Warner Brothers right now is that all their movies are streamed through HBO Max. So it, he doesn't want his films to be on a streaming platform. He wants them to be on a big screen. Well, and it's possible that Netflix is going to go in that arena in the future. They they may release some of their films well, that's in probably, theaters. Yeah, I was going to say they're probably selling them on that right now. So They're trying to sell them on that. Well, yeah, that'll be I interesting. would say so. I mean, Netflix is giving people hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, they recently gave Ryan Johnson like $200 million, I think it was, for Knives Out 2. Yeah. And that's not even probably... That's not even going to go into theaters, probably. It's probably just going to go on their streaming service. Well, it just I mean, seems like it's crazy. Got, There's just a bidding war. You've right got now. other giants, too, like uh, you know David Fincher's another big name that's got a lot of deals with Netflix right now. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And then the great Adam Sandler, Zach, that's another one. <laughs> he has some more films that are coming to Netflix that we talked about when we were talking about Hubie Halloween last yeah. fall i remember he has like maybe one or two more films coming out on netflix so it's just a major bidding war between all these different streaming services i hope more people can go to the theaters and see films it was interesting that we talked about old last week and that film is strictly only in theaters and this film is a little bit of a hybrid and old ended up making more i think in its first weekend than this film yeah what uh what do the critics say about uh, this film, though, Zach? Well, overall, Kyle, this is done pretty well. You have 91% on Rotten Tomatoes, and you have 74 on Metacritic. So overall, very high praise for this film. More general, generally favorable reviews. And to get into the good and the bad with Zach and Kyle, we're going to talk about a really positive review. This is a 9 out of 10, Kyle. I'll do the good one, you do the bad one. This is from Alan N.G. from Film Street. He says, No one is safe, and decency is thrown out the window. Not since Deadpool has a movie ever been so effed up. Though Deadpool wandered more into the sexual and scatological terrain, the Suicide Squad instead blurs the line between cartoon violence and gory realism. I'd have to agree with him on the, that last part. Definitely had some gory realism mixed in with some cartoony violence. I think we'll talk about that more as we go along. But what was the major negative review? This is a top critic, by the way, Alan NG. And then uh, both of these are top critics from Metacritic website. Yeah. Manala Dargis from the New York Times uh, is quoted as saying, The violence is the most consistently inventive part of the whole package, though it grows tiresome in its thudding repetition. Like the story's supervisual, superficial finger-wagging at American Wrongs, the brutality is both decorative and ritualistic. And she gave it a 4 so out of 10 So she was not that. a fan. She was not a fan of the violence. You know, that's a 4 yeah. out of 10, so that's not that bad. But that was the lowest we could find. Not, nobody gave it a 0. Well, it just sounds like a lot of people have maybe took issue at times with uh, some of its violence that... I almost felt it was almost uh, it was almost uh, praised or something throughout the film that it was like uh, almost Tarantino like 
in a yes. way. Yes. But I did I think like this is almost I, tame. Or he his is almost tame compared to this movie a little bit. Yeah. In but, some instances. But yeah, I do think that there was a kind of a mix there between the cartoon violence with the gory realism. I think that kind of kept a decent balance there to uh, you know, maybe help the viewer uh make it more palatable uh to see all this violence yet uh strike some meaning and uh you know emotion throughout some of the film yeah i would say so so overall pretty positive reviews for this film but let's get into some behind the scenes did you know segment so kyle did you know that idris elba was initially hired to replace will smith as floyd lawton which is deadshot but it was later decided that Elba would play a new character, Bloodsport, to allow Smith to return in the future. So maybe there's going to be a, a little Will Smith and Idris Elba. Uh, hey, they, they're leaving that up. I mean, they're giving you that option. If they make another one, that's definitely a possibility. Yeah, that would be interesting. But uh, Zach, did you know... James Gunn wanted Dave Batista to play Peacemaker, but Batista ended up turning that down to play the lead role in Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. So, yeah, he kind of decided to do that because he's probably going to have a larger role in that. So it kind of makes sense for his career. But it's too bad that him and James Gunn couldn't uh, team up together again because they seem well, like yeah, they're pretty decent. You know, he. Dave Bautista, famous for playing Drax in the Guardians of the Galaxy, and that really revamped his career. Dave Bautista had just recently said that he was foreclosing his house. He was basically close to broke. And then James Gunn called him about Guardians of the Galaxy, and that really changed his career completely. And now you see him in a lot of things. You see him in Army of the Dead, which they're even going to have a sequel to that film. And you even have... Him in Blade Runner twenty Blade Runner twenty forty nine. You also have him in upcoming Dune that's coming out later this year. He's just been in a lot of stuff, and that really changed the trajectory of his career. So I'm sure he's happy about that. But too bad he couldn't play Pacemaker. But you know what, John Cena did a fine job as well. Kyle, did you know that James Gunn based Weasel's portrayal in the film on the comic artist Berkeley Brothers? Bill and the Cat from the comic strip Bloom County. It's, it's a character who is barely more than an animal. He has no clue what is happening around him. <laughs> and that's uh, that's pretty much what Weasel well, is. He doesn't know what's going on. Well, Weasel's my favorite character throughout this entire film, Zach. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, it's just too, to yeah you were saying it's just too bad he didn't get as much screen time as you wanted. Yeah. Uh, we'll kind of get, I guess, into that. And, uh, Zach, did you know that according to production designer Beth Mickle, James Gunn wanted the film to be gray and drab and monotone until the characters arrive in Corto Maltese, which he wanted to explode with color, like Panama and Havana. Mickle took specific inspiration for the island's color palette from Cologne, Panama. But, yeah, that's interesting because they ended up filming in Panama. So he wanted that really bright, vibrant colors for maybe some of that uh, beginning sequence that you see. He wanted American soil to be gray and drab and monotone. But he wanted 
Cuba like to be with color. Like Havana and Panama, yeah, basically. And Kyle, there's another random fact. This is the last one on the Did You Know segment. But did you know, Kyle, that James Gunn Googled who's the dumbest DC character of all time? And you know what popped up? <laughs> Polka Dot Man. Polka Dot Man nice. makes an appearance in this film. That probably is quite, probably the dumbest character, yeah. Such a random, random character. I was going to say, uh, he's also referred to as Norman Bates in this movie. <laughs> is he? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, John Cena's character, uh, like just because of his just sheer weirdness, called him Norman Bates. So maybe there's a little inspiration oh, man. for that, that I mean, character as well. Makes a lot of sense. You even have a psycho reference in this film. But moving on, Kyle, let's get into the review of the film. Let's talk about a classic link as well. We'll get into the classic link first and then talk about the review here. start off with our classic movie link yeah so um i guess i was kind of riding with james gunn and his uh you know wanting to kind of make the uh cordo maltese uh, that kind of uh, island the look like a war film from the 70s so my first initial thought to that was apocalypse now uh kind of made me think of some of the the shots from that movie uh seemed kind of like they drew some inspiration from there uh <clears throat> so that was one and then i guess another one would be for me was tropic thunder where you kind of have just these uh these idiots that kind of are all together and they kind of come on this island and they i don't know i don't i think they're in over their heads they don't know quite what they're getting into and that's kind of uh another film that kind of made me think that this was similar in a way yeah, those were probably my two that I would come up with. I don't know if you had any. Well, yeah, I mean, I would agree with those ones. Yeah, of, of course, Guardians of the Galaxy comes to mind, a film that he did, you know, in 2014, I think it was. And that one, he has a, you know, a group of uh, unknown superheroes in the comic book world, and he makes them kind of relatable and interesting in that film and kind of does the same thing here with the Suicide Squad. You even have a character which is... You know, it, like like Groot in Guardians of the Galaxy, you have the shark in this one. And yeah. boy, do they get a lot of good scenes with him, I, f I feel like. He actually becomes a lovable goof in this film. Yeah, so I think and Sylvester And he's just Stallone consistently right able to make it entertaining. What were you saying, Kyle? <sighs> what I was saying, Zach, <laughs> as I thought Sylvester Stallone was good for that uh, part in the voice characterization of uh yeah it's it's interesting because you know sylvester stallone's just doing the voice the actor that plays the shark is not sylvester stallone it's a different person in fact he is the guy he's kind of the guy with the beard and the glasses and the long hair that works with amanda waller in this one that's the actor that plays the shark interesting. at least his body movements and then you have Sylvester Stallone with the voice, which is interesting. But a movie, Kyle, that I think is a good parallel with this one, as the Suicide Squad is fairly, pretty much, Gunn's vision for this film. 
And to give it something to relate it to, I would relate it to something like Blade Runner 2049, in that Denis Villeneuve was given a blank check, given so much, re so many resources to make that film his vision and make a very well done, like artistic piece with Blade Runner 2049. He, and I feel like there was not a lot of studio involvement with that film, as you know that film was wholly its own. It didn't feel like it had a lot of involvement from major producers or studios. But, and this one doesn't feel that way either. It feels like a very original movie. This one feels like there wasn't a lot of people making notes on certain topics, which we'll talk about in the review. But just to give you a little parallel, Blade Runner 2049 also did not do very well in the box office. And that one was made for $150 million and ended up making about $260 million worldwide. So it was considered an expensive film to make and produce and also market but did not get back what it was needing to you know potentially make more in the future and this film Kyle ended up making a hundred million Suicide Squad made a hundred million dollars less in its weekend debut than the first film which is crazy to think about but as again like we talked about there's specific reasons for that it's tough that this one doesn't get to, you know, I feel like this movie would have made probably $800 million worldwide if it was under the golden age of box office grosses. Yeah, but, well, let's um, let's kind of get into review and uh, we'll kind of we'll kind of decide uh, what we think was better between those ones, Zach, because uh, the audience so far seems to favor that first one, at least to go to a movie actually, actually and see it. But, uh, well, my kind of initial thought, Zach, was that I thought the movie overall was very entertaining. I thought that James Gunn uh, was the right person to direct this uh, movie. I thought that they kind of focused more on almost a cartoonish element in a way rather than the like kind of gritty, dark uh, atmosphere of a David Ayer or a Gavin O'Connor film. Uh, so I liked the uh, I liked his use of color in the movie throughout. I liked the use of his characters and how he's able to make a lot of these characters uh, interesting without having to do too much. And he's like taking the most obscure characters and and able to uh, kind of transform them into something that's actually quite interesting to uh, watch and you kind of learn more about. Um, but yeah, overall, Zach, I really liked it. I, I to me personally, I didn't feel like the the violence was over the top. I mean, it was over the top, but I didn't feel that it was um, kind of in poor taste for me. Uh, I was kind of able to look past that. It it didn't really affect me personally. Um, and overall, I just really liked the uh, actors. I thought they all did a really good job. Uh, especially liked the actress that uh, with the uh, rats. Uh, I don't the rat remember catcher. What, the Rat Catcher, uh, I don't really re recall what her uh, name is, but I thought she did a pretty good job in that role. Was able to uh, give different uh, facets of her uh, personality and her, I guess, uh, able to show different emotions throughout, which was good. So, yeah, I, yeah. I thought it was a solid film all the way throughout. I, I was actually surprisingly uh, entertained. I thought, thought it was funny throughout. Yeah, what did you think of it? Yeah, I mean, Daniela Melchior, Ratcatcher yes. 2, that's the actress. She, This is kind of a first big role. And you also have David 
Das Malchian, who plays a polka dot man, who has been in a, a previous DC Comics film in The Dark Knight when he plays a Joker henchman. So mm -hmm. it's funny that he's in this movie. Everybody ha you know, had their chance to shine. And that's what I like about James Gunn's filmography when you look back at some of his other films. Everybody seems to have a purpose. Everybody seems to... Even the weasel, he seems to have a purpose. Yeah. I think his purpose is mostly just to be funny, but... He is in the film, and you have a lot of really obscure comic book characters that he just brings to light. That's why it was interesting to hear that he just Googled who the lamest DC character was, and that's where <laughs> Polka Dot Man comes into, into play. But overall, I had a lot of fun with this movie. It surprised me in a lot of ways. I was shocked at times, odd and, and humored and somewhat disgusted at times, and also floored. And you have a little bit of heart in this movie, too, with Ratcatcher 2. I won't get mm -hmm. into her background, but I feel like there's some heart between her character and Idris Elba, and you feel for them. And yeah. then uh, I should say also that Peacemaker is an interesting character as well. You know, he... he He's similar with his powers to uh, Bloodsport, but uh, they kind of have somewhat of a disagreement at the end of the film. There's kind of a, a standoff, I guess, if you will. I won't get into all that, but it the uh, ending of this movie, and we should say that there is an end credit scene. There's actually two of them. It actually leaves room for Peacemaker to have his own show, which has already been filmed, and James Gunn's already directed, I think he, they said like five episodes of, of Peacemaker that he directed. So that show is going to be coming out on HBO Max. And from what they are saying, they said it's going to be the most one of the most violent superhero shows on TV. Yeah. So that should pique people's interest, Kyle. If you like the well, violence in here, you'll have to check that out. But yeah, I mean, uh, but, um, yeah, and I think maybe you could say, you could argue, maybe that it's to a fault a little bit that it's a little self-indulgent at times, uh, especially with its gratuitous use of violence. But uh, it it actually kind of reminded me of Deadpool even a little bit, uh, just kind of with its. Uh, just kind of the feel of the movie I felt like throughout with the comedy and, you know, to just being a superhero movie with, uh, I don't want to say lame character, but just kind of obscure characters. And, uh, I don't know, just very, very different, uh, superhero movies than what we've had in the past, you know, with say your Captain America's or, or even, even Batman's really, or, or Superman's, uh, just, Gives you a different feel and kind of a different side where they're kind of anti-heroes, which I think the audience yeah, tends to prefer. The the uh, the whole story of the Suicide Squad is interesting because you have these characters that are all criminals and they're all being forced to do good by the U.S. government. So it, it takes and pokes fun at the U.S. government and makes them kind of be the bad guy in this film, which I think is interesting. It's I think it's helpful for you know, that our country to maybe look at some of the things that it does in the, in the real world and kind of show and kind of put itself up to a mirror a little bit in this film. So they definitely, they definitely are jabbing at America in this film. But also, you know, the self-indulgence with the violence, you, you could say it's similar to Deadpool. They have a lot of violence there, but there's like a lightheartedness to this film. But there's also some straight up violent, aspects so that's where we were talking about you know it has some graphic realism mixed in with some cartoony violence and that may not always work for everybody 
It seemed like it worked for you, Kyle. It worked for me for the most part, but it can get a little bit too self-indulgent. And there's a sequence in this film where you have these these Suicide Squad, they're completing this mission. They think they did a great job, and then it just ends up being different what, than what they thought. And uh, that kind of just rubs me the wrong way. But <laughs> some people really liked that and thought it was a hilarious uh, joke. Uh, so... And I, I will say the movie, I feel like in the middle of the film is not as interesting as the beginning and the ending, but there's really few real flaws to this movie. It's, it's a good time. It's got good characters, good performances, solid all around. I'll give this a 7.5 out of 10. You say 7.5, I'm going to say an 8 out of 10. So, uh, yeah, we're pretty similar, I guess, in our views overall. But, uh, yeah, overall, I think we both uh, really enjoyed it. And, uh, Zach, where else can they stream this? Uh, is there anything where else besides HBO Max, or is that pretty much it? HBO Max has it for 30 days after release in theaters. You can also just check it out at your theater yep. and support the uh, box office. But, you know, it's we watched it on a smaller screen, Kyle. It... I feel like this film, I think it has some IMAX sequences that they did film. So if you have an IMAX near you, that would probably be the best way to see it. I think it's enjoyable either way. But of course, the theater experience is always better. And if you feel safe enough and good enough about that, you can check that out. But Kyle, what are we going to be doing next week for our movie review? It's going to be Till Death, starring Megan Fox. Megan Fox is making a resurgence, Kyle. She's in this independent thriller called Till Death. It's not getting a lot of talk and not a lot of buzz, but it's something that we wanted to highlight as a film to keep on your radar. So that's exciting. We'll also be doing Free Guy in the future, and we're planning on reviewing Reminiscence as well later this month. So... Feel free to check out those reviews that are going to be coming to you each week. We're going to release them Mondays at 10 a.m. each week. And if you like The Suicide Squad and want to talk about it and send us your review of the film and your take on it, which we'll read on the air, you can send it to our email, which I have in the description. And I also have a audio you also have the option of sending in an audio clip of your reaction to Suicide Squad, which we can play on the air as well. So keep that in mind. But for now, thank you guys once again for joining us, and we hope you had fun listening to this episode. If you like this, please be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that you will never miss a show. If you found value in our show, we'd love it if you gave us a review so we can continue to grow and reach more enthusiastic movie fans in the future. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out as well. Be sure to check out our Facebook page, Classically Current Podcast, to receive updates on our show as well as vote on other films to review in the future. Thanks again for joining us, and as always, stay classy and stay current.